Welcome to Up to Date Talk. In this podcast, we will be speaking with Dr. Andrew Saxon, who will discuss the efficacy of long acting naltrexone compared with buprenorphine for patients with opioid use disorder. I'm Dr. Jennifer Mitty, an infectious disease specialist and deputy editor at Up to Date. We hope this discussion provides helpful insights while keeping you up to date with the medical literature. Dr. Saxon is a professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the University of Washington. He is also chair of the American Psychiatric Association's Council on Addiction Psychiatry and a section editor in psychiatry at Up to Date. We will review the findings reported in a study by Lee et al. that was published in The Lancet in January of 2018. We will also review a study by Tanum et al., which was published in JAMA Psychiatry in 2017. Dr. Saxon, we are delighted to have you here today. Great to be speaking with you. So before we talk about the studies, I thought it would be helpful if you could provide an overview of the current magnitude of the opiate crisis. I mean, clearly this is something we've all been hearing about, and it would be great to have you review the current state of this epidemic. Well, it is a very serious problem for the U.S., and just to put it in context, if we assume that healthcare provisions most important goal is to reduce death, the mortality figures associated with this epidemic are really quite striking. In 2016, more people died of drug overdoses than died in motor vehicle accidents. More people died of drug overdoses than the number of Americans killed in the entire a 20-year span of the Vietnam War. And more people uh, died of drug overdoses than died of suicide. A very interesting bit of data came came out last week uh, in morbidity and mortality weekly reports uh, by the CDC. And they indicated that in the 15-month span from July 2016 through September 2017, emergency room visits across the U.S. related to uh, opioid overdoses, not necessarily fatal overdoses, but people with overdoses coming into ERs increased by almost 30%. So we're really seeing uh, people lose their lives and a huge impacts on our healthcare system because of this uh, opioid epidemic. Right. So finding an effective treatment option is really a priority. It really is. So I guess when you think about treatment for patients with opiate addiction who've achieved initial abstinence, so we're not talking about the acute care setting, there's both medication-based therapies and psychosocial-based therapies. Well, that, there are uh, behavioral interventions available, but behavioral interventions without medication uh, almost universally fail. So medication treatment is really absolutely essential to adequate treatment of opioid use disorder in 2018. I see. So now when we think of these medications, there's both opioid agonists and opioid antagonists. Is that correct? That is correct. So maybe you could briefly explain how these commonly used medications work, I guess in particular buprenorphine and naltrexone, since those are the ones we're going to discuss today. Uh, sure. So we, we do have, I will focus on the two of those. I do want to make the point that we do have three medications available. Uh, and they have, uh, they all f- focus primarily on their effects on the mu opioid receptor. Uh, and the one we're not going to talk much about is methadone, which is what we call a full a mu agonist. And that means that it completely activates the mu receptor. And it's very similar to opioids that 
most healthcare providers are familiar with, such as morphine, uh, hydromorphone, or oxycodone in terms of its effects on the receptor. Methadone is only available uh, through licensed treatment programs, and the typical practicing uh, provider uh, is not able to prescribe methadone for the treatment of opioid use disorder um, out of a regular practice. So we'll, we'll set that aside for now. So the other two medications that physicians or other providers with prescriptive privileges can prescribe uh, potentially are the buprenorphine and the naltrexone. So naltrexone is a competitive antagonist at the mu opioid receptor. So that means it binds to the receptor and it blocks the receptor. And if someone should use opioids while on naltrexone, the opioids cannot get to the receptor and thus will have no effect. And even if someone repeatedly uses opioids while on naltrexone, they cannot redevelop physiologic dependence on opioids or develop more tolerance because the receptors are blocked. And how does this differ from buprenorphine? Buprenorphine is what we call a partial agonist at the mu receptor. And so uh, it binds to the mu receptor and it activates it, but it does not activate it as strongly uh, as a full agonist like, say, methadone or morphine. And there's a ceiling effect on how much buprenorphine can activate the receptor. So even when receptors are saturated with buprenorphine, it really uh, cannot activate them enough uh, in at least adults to cause respiratory depression sufficient to result in an overdose with buprenorphine alone. So it has a tremendous safety margin compared to most opioids that we're familiar with. And that's why it's an excellent treatment medication for opioid use disorder, because if we prescribe it from an office and we give a seven-day, 14-day, or even 30-day supply, even if the patient were able to take all that medication at one time, the patient would not be able to overdose. I see. Now, how are the different medications administered? So buprenorphine for treatment of opioid use disorder at this point is primarily administered um, as a sublingual preparation because it's not well absorbed from the GI tract and also undergoes a, a extensive first-pass hepatic metabolism. So Right now, we don't have an oral preparation. There are uh, two other formulations. Uh, one is a long-acting implant that does require surgical implant implantation and therefore is not highly practical. There is a brand new formulation that was just approved by the FDA, which is a an injection that's a subcutaneous injection that has a 30-day duration of effect. And so we don't know much clinically about that injectable preparation because it has not been widely used uh, in clinical practice yet. Now, the long-acting naltrexone is also injectable, is that right? Correct. So there is an oral form of naltrexone that can be taken on a daily basis, but uh, research in the past has shown that oftentimes patients don't adhere well to the oral regimen because they're, again, they're the naltrexone is blocking the mu receptor. They're not getting any opioid effect. And if they're seeking opioid effect, they might be inclined to discontinue the medication. And so they, there has been a long-acting injection that's been developed that's been approved for uh, opioid use disorder since 2010. And it has a 30-day duration of action. So it's a once-a-month intramuscular gluteal injection. Jumping back to buprenorphine for a second, the sublingual formulations are typically available as a co-formulated preparation with naloxone. Could you tell us more about that? So the naloxone is in there 
primarily to deter parental misuse. So if someone should, say, try and crush a tablet and inject it, they're also going to be injecting an antagonist and won't get much effect from the buprenorphine. That, so that's the reason why that's there. It doesn't have any real treatment effect when taken, uh, taken properly. Are there differences in how you initiate therapy with buprenorphine versus naltrexone? So yes, there is a difference in how they're started. Because naltrexone is a, a full competitive antagonist, if there are any residual opioids on the mu receptor when naltrexone is administered, it can cause precipitated withdrawal. So precipitated withdrawal is a very rapid onset of very severe uh, opioid withdrawal with the typical signs and symptoms of opioid withdrawal. So to start naltrexone, we have to have people completely withdrawn from opioids. And that usually requires a period of seven to 10 days with no opioid use whatsoever. Uh, and that can be challenging both for providers and patients uh, to achieve that opioid-free state. Uh, buprenorphine can be started when people are in early mild opioid withdrawal. So we don't, also don't give buprenorphine to people when they have full opioid agonists um, on the receptors in high numbers. But we have found that if the person abstains from opioids only for a period of 12 to 24 hours and enters early opioid withdrawal, because buprenorphine is a partial agonist and it will give some agonist effect and that will actually relieve the early opioid withdrawal. Oh, interesting. So, so in other words, if to, to boil that down into a practical sense, uh, buprenorphine can be started within one day after someone has stopped opioids, whereas naltrexone requires a period of sometimes a week or more to start it in a safe manner. Wow, that's a big difference. It is. Are there um, any adverse effects of these medications that we should be aware of that also impact your choice of treatment? The typical side effect profile is uh, fairly similar and and generally pretty minor, uh, which can include uh, nausea, headache, uh, drowsiness. One big difference, obviously, because buprenorphine is a partial opioid agonist, it does produce physiologic dependence. And so patients will be getting some um, opioid effects, and they will have, very likely have, some amount of opioid withdrawal when trying to get off the medication, and although we encourage patients, for the most part, to stay on it for a long period of time. And you now Trexone, on the other hand, because it's an antagonist, does not induce any physiologic dependence, and so uh, there's no withdrawal syndrome when stopping naltrexone. The naltrexone injection does have the potential uh, to cause an injection site reaction, although those are very rare. Great. Well, this background is um, really helpful and I think leads us nicely into looking at the study that the studies that compare these agents. Maybe we can start with the study by Lee et al., and you can review those findings with us. Sure. So this was a multi-site study. And there were uh, between five and 600 patients in the study. And these patients were recruited from essentially inpatient type settings, although they might not have been hospitals, but residential facilities where they often taper patients off of opioids. And some of them were actual inpatient addiction units. And the patients were randomly assigned uh, either to get buprenorphine or to get the naltrexone long-acting injection. And the outcomes that they were looking at were relapse to illicit opioid use and retention and treatment. 
And also they did look at rates of overdose. So in the full intention to treat sample, the outcomes were slightly better with the buprenorphine. The reason for that was more of the patients were able to get on the buprenorphine because as we just discussed, the, the, the time frame uh, to start it after stopping opioids is much shorter. In, in a secondary analysis that's also important, they looked at the sample of the patients who succeeded in getting on medication and followed them over time and for up to six months. And what they found there, once the patients were on medication, there weren't really any differences in outcome between the two medications in terms of how quickly they relapsed or how long they actually stayed in treatment or even in rates of overdose. So the real take-home message from that study is there is a withdrawal hurdle for patients to get on naltrexone. Once patients get on it, they do just as well as patients on buprenorphine. Now, did the studies by Tanem et al. support these findings? They do. In that study, which was done in Norway, all the patients were again on inpatient units, but they were on in inpatient units where the stay was up to four weeks. And all the patients were fully withdrawn from opioids before they were randomly assigned to one of the two medications. And other than that, the studies were quite similar in that patients were randomized in the TANM study one-to-one either to get the sublingual buprenorphine or the naltrexone injection. And so they were not faced with this difference in how in the time course to start the medications. And so in that study, the outcomes were fully equivalent for both medications in, in, in terms of uh, relapse to illicit opioids and uh, time remaining in treatment. Uh, I, I will say uh, one small caveat about the TANM study, the dose, dosing of, of buprenorphine in that study might have been slightly on the low side, and um, people just need to take that into account when they're reading the results of that study. But uh, by and large, it would indicate that once people are withdrawn from opioids, the uh, benefit of both of these medications is very equivalent. One last question about these studies. It looks like almost 40% of patients dropped out. Is that correct? Yes. So that is a issue that we do have with these medications. They work very well, but many patients do leave treatment prematurely. And that is a very, very important point because if we go back to talking about uh, mortality, when patients with opioid use disorder are out of treatment, they have something like seven to 10 times the mortality rates compared to the general population. Uh, When they're in treatment, that dramatically drops to about twice the general population. And when they leave treatment, their mortality risk, uh, both um, overdose mortality and all-cause mortality, uh, goes up quite significantly again. Are there other things we should think about to maximize the benefit of these therapies? The most important thing that we have to do right now is implementation, because we do have these two medications plus methadone that are effective but most people with opioid use disorder don't even get into treatment. But among those who do get into treatment, the vast majority, something like 70 or 75 percent, are getting only behavioral uh, interventions and not medications. So we really need to scale up the availability of these medications, uh, and that means uh, training our provider workforce to feel comfortable prescribing these medications just like they would feel comfortable prescribing medications for, say, hypertension or diabetes. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to 
speak with us about this today. I have truly learned a lot, and I think everyone else will have too. Um, Again, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. It was a very interesting conversation. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. If you would like to get more information on any of these studies or other recent updates, please visit UpToDate.com and look at our What's New and Practice Changing Update sections. We welcome your feedback. Please leave us a review on the podcast service you use to access these podcasts. 